Oh, the first week can be tough on the on the little kiddos for sure. We have a lot of kids just starting school, a lot of little kindergartners who are very confused about where to go or what to do or how to act, and it all can be very overwhelming for them. So a lot of it comes down to fitting in, meeting new classmates, finding some friends, and also developing new relationships with a new authority-like figure, teacher, that they see five days a week. Inform, educate, advocate. This is your source for all things early childhood. From nurturing healthy development to overcoming behavioral challenges and recognizing mental health needs. Welcome to Centering Kids, advice from the experts at the Florida Center for Early Childhood. It's that time of year again when parents rejoice and kids maybe not so much about going back to school. As parents, we do our best to make sure our children have the tangible tools they need to be successful. We've made those last minute trips to the store for school supplies, new clothes, and other essentials. But do we ever stop to consider mentally preparing them for a new school, a new teacher, or even new classmates? For some, it's been many months since going back in person, um, since we've dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic for many months. Well, today we're gonna talk a little bit about that on Centering Kids, advice from the experts at the Florida Center for Early Childhood. I'm your host, Kristen Tyson. Today I'm here with Tia Nagel, a school-based mental health therapist at Taylor Ranch Elementary School in Venice, Florida. She's here to talk with us about a mental health checklist that parents can use when preparing their children for a new school year or really many other changes. Hi, Tia. Hi, Kristen. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm glad that you could join us today. So here in Sarasota County, Florida, um, students are getting back in the swing of things, and I'm sure you must be extremely busy. Can you tell us a little bit about your role as a school-based mental health therapist? Sure. As a school-based mental health therapist, I'm able to stay on campus full-time and provide one-on-one therapeutic services for the kiddos there while at school. Um, I also get to help the faculty and staff in assessing mental health needs for anybody there on campus and providing education about mental health and the services we can provide. That is amazing and I'm sure so needed because, you know, teachers go to school to help with the educational piece, but the mental and emotional aspect is is a whole nother challenge, I'm sure. Absolutely. So what are some of the stressors that children might have during the first week or two? Oh, the first week can be tough on the, on the little kiddos, for sure. We have a lot of kids just starting school, a lot of little kindergartners who are very confused about where to go or what to do or how to act. And it all can be very overwhelming for them. So a lot of it comes down to fitting in, meeting new classmates, finding some friends, and also developing new relationships with a new authority-like figure, teacher, that they see five days a week. Additionally, a huge part of it comes from kids who are new. Maybe they're new to Florida, or maybe they're just switching schools. 
a lot of kids were actually homeschooled last year due to COVID. So a lot of these kids are having to come up with a lot of courage and bravery to learn how to adapt into the school setting in general. I can just picture, as you're saying, they need to be brave, those those little five-year-olds that are walking to school for the first time. And even now, I know there are some restrictions on parents being able to go into the school with them. So I can imagine that it's probably more difficult than, you know, in a typical school year. Are you seeing that? Yes, we actually are. Unfortunately, due to the, the varying numbers with COVID happening right now, we have to strictly limit the amount of families and visitors on campus, especially during the, the beginning of the school year. And that can be quite difficult for kids who are they're used to having their, their parents come. Their parents are everything, or their caregivers, or their siblings. So saying, waving bye to mom and dad at the car, or getting off of the bus all by themselves can sometimes feel overwhelming. But luckily, I am there on campus along with other therapist through the Florida Center working at various schools and we're able to be there along with a lot of other teachers and support staff to promote the kids to that it's going to be okay we're there with them and we will help them figure it all out together. That's so great to hear and I'm sure that parents would feel better knowing that there's a little extra support for their little ones too. Well you know this is such a stressful an uncertain time for adults as well as children. And I'm just wondering how this might look in a child, you know, versus what we may see in an adult, you know, are they, how can you tell if they're being disobedient and acting out or if they're really just um, dealing with big feelings? You know, Matt, that's a really good question because you and I as adults, we have the years of experience behind us to acknowledge when we're worried or when we're stressed about something. And from there, we're able to break it down mentally and figure out the exact aspect that's causing that worry or stress and then problem solve on healthy ways to overcome it or figure it out. Alternatively, kids don't have that. They're young. They, they have not gone through the experiences that we have, and it can be quite overwhelming. Their vocabulary isn't there. Their level of development isn't there. So their worry and stress can often manifest very differently. Um, some of the ways that I have seen stress and worry exhibited in kids could include them not wanting to go to school, you know, waking up saying, oh, I'm not feeling good, or my tummy hurts, all of those sorts of things, because having a stomach ache is really could be tied to them feeling anxious about going to school because it's new or different. Yeah. Um, things like that, stomach aches, headaches, becoming physically ill, those sorts of things are, are ways that I've seen it manifest before for kiddos if something's going on or if they're a bit stressed or worried. That totally makes sense. I mean, as adults, I know there are times when I feel like my stomach is in knots and, you know, I, I can work to calm myself, but with children, it's a little bit more difficult. So what are some things that maybe parents can do instead of saying, oh, you're fine, you're just, you're just pretending, you're not really sick, 
you know, then maybe that would make the child feel even worse. Are there things that could be more helpful in that, in that time? Absolutely. I highly encourage parents to talk with your children. And there's a difference when we, when we say talk with versus talk at. I, I encourage parents to have open-ended conversation, open-ended questions with their children and to listen. We want to make sure our children are feeling heard with what they're saying, too. So that way, they're feeling like they can express they're having a tummy ache. And then maybe that parent can turn around and say, you know what, there was this time where I had a big place I had to go to and I didn't know where I was going and I had a tummy ache too. For many kids, it's helpful for them to know that they're not alone and that what they're experiencing is, for lack of a better phrase, normal. We've all had it before where we've gotten the butterflies in our stomach before a big day and it's okay to share that with your children because the other piece of that is then you also get to share something that maybe worked for you and then you can ask your child what do you think would help your butterflies go away how can i help you with those butterflies oh that is so sweet i can just picture that right now and i think that that could be really such a great bonding experience for parents too you know taking something that could have been negative and really escalate the child's you know discomfort and instead, turning it around and, and making it something that they can bond over, which is really great. Yes. So, unfortunately, I know personally, I have issues getting my children to talk to me at all about what their feelings are. But they're a little bit older, so the little ones might need a little more reassurance. Um, so, you recently wrote a blog, I understand, which is available on the Florida Center's website which is just thefloridacenter.org. And in that, you list some examples of how parents can initiate conversations to better understand how their child is feeling. Um, I know you just shared one of those examples with us. Do you have any others off the top of your head? Absolutely. So in addition to asking open-ended questions, I would also encourage parents to respond attentively. Um, sometimes our children take a roundabout way of explaining things and we may get lost in the translation. But our children need to hear, they need to know that we are hearing them. And so one of the best ways you can do that is to ask questions. If you're unsure about it, ask. Say, okay, so let me see if I'm understanding this right. Does that mean this or I'm, I'm not sure that I heard that properly. Was it this? Or, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And this is what you need, right? Try to reiterate what they're saying at their level. That shows your children that you are listening to them and that you're interested in what they have to say. This empowers your children to gain better self-esteem and self-confidence and furthers the bond with your child, which therefore will promote continued communication. What a great tip. And again, I kind of feel like this could translate to adults also, because sometimes, you know, we don't necessarily express ourselves as clearly as we could. So 
I think these tips probably can be useful for a variety of, of ages and audiences. For sure. I believe that too. Mm-hmm. So also in the blog, you mentioned doing some physical activities while talking to your child, like taking a walk, um, maybe just you know doing something around the house. What is the benefit of engaging in some kind of activity when you're trying to talk with your children? Well, the great thing about engaging in interactivity while trying to talk with your children is that it gives them an outlet. I mean, how often could you remember as a kid, come here, I need to talk to you, or have a seat, we need to have a talk. And then as a kid, you go into panic mode, like, oh no, I'm in trouble. Or what am I going to say? Or how is this going to sound? And then their mind is going a mile a minute and probably not having the best feelings there, the most positive feelings. But if we do something like go walk around the neighborhood or go to the park and bring a basketball to the to the gymnasium or cook something together, maybe you want to bake some muffins on Saturday morning, anything like that, even coloring, Legos, you name it. It allows your child to engage in something physically that exerts some of that nervousness and can allow their mind to calm down so that they can focus and have a very productive conversation with their parents. That's a great suggestion. You know, I think a lot of us adults would think about, you know, sitting down to focus and not having those distractions. But when you put it that way, you know, in thinking about their nervous energy and having an outlet for that, uh, I can definitely see how that's helpful. And so the conversations that we're talking about don't necessarily have to stop when your child becomes more comfortable in school or whatever their new environment might be. Um, I'm sure you would recommend parents continue to work on talking with their children you know, throughout the school year. Yes, hands down, absolutely, without a doubt. Is the earlier parents can start talking with their children and promoting these great, powerful, positive, open-ended, and just sharing conversations, the more likely they are going to have that good level of communication as they continue to grow into adolescence or as a teenager or even as an adult. Honestly, I can't tell you how many times as a therapist I've had families come to me with their 16, 17-year-old and say, I can't. My kid doesn't talk to me. They don't listen. They're always in their room. I ask them how their day was, and they say good, and they walk away. Well, when's the last time you engaged with your kid on something they wanted to do or wanted to talk about? We've got to start these things early so that your child, again, knows that you are listening, whether it's good, bad, ugly, or even the mundane. Sometimes they'll tell us a story that we think should take two minutes but end up taking 20. But the point is, if we are listening to them, they will remember that. And they will know that they can come to us later on when it's something more serious and they do need our, uh, our help as parents. You mentioned having you know older children. And I know as a mental health therapist with the Florida Center, you focus on the younger children. 
Um, what ages exactly do you deal with in your role? Currently, I work with elementary age school children um, at Taylor Ranch Elementary. Right now, we have pre-K, so about four years old, up through fifth grade, so about 10, 11 years old. So I am currently working with those ages, that age group. I do have experience working with older adolescents, teenagers, adults, and seniors. How would you say it is different trying to engage the different ages in conversation because you know I, I feel like you there are some children who are just naturally maybe more talkative than others um, is there any any tips that you would give for trying to get children to engage with you, to, you know, yeah, different ages sure I I do recognize how many people can see like oh goodness I don't I don't know how it would be to try to talk to this age or or this age, but for me, it comes down to meet them where they're at. It doesn't matter if they're five or they're 15. If they're five and they want to color, I'm gonna get on the floor and we're gonna get out coloring books and we're gonna color together. We're gonna have a great time building rapport and connecting. And then we get to open up and talk about feelings and stressors and healthy coping. If they're 15 and they're into gaming, I'm going to figure out the latest games that are going on and bring up the characters or the subject matter and bring that in to draw them in so that we can, again, build on that rapport and connection so that we can get down to some of the concerns and the goals that they want to achieve through therapy. Wonderful suggestions. And I feel like I'm going to need to learn some about video gaming because I've got some preteens coming up and I really don't want to know about Roblox right now. <laughs> oh goodness, yes, Roblox. That is definitely one of the big ones right now. So um, I know that you haven't been in the school year very long, but um, even drawing on previous school years or um, times when it's a new beginning for children, can you explain maybe a, a time where a child was feeling stressed and you were able to help them through the problem? Oh, for sure. Well, right now, especially with the new school year, so many schools are just starting to develop their dismissal routines. Um, if any parent has been out on the road around anywhere from three to five in the afternoon, anywhere close to a school, they're probably stuck in traffic right now. Um, that's just the way it goes at the beginning of the year until routines are truly put in place and everything's running smoothly. But in the meantime, when you have little kiddos who don't know where to go or they don't know which bus to get on or maybe the parent pickup line is backed up to the point where that child is now fretting because they think they've gotten left behind, we've seen lots of those stresses in kids in these first um, you know, a few days, and that's a, a, a regular thing at the beginning of the school year. Uh, luckily, we have lots of teachers, support staff, and people like myself who like to be present to reassure children, hey, I'm here with you, and we're going to figure this out together. Nice. I, I think that's probably one of the benefits of having the mental health therapists based at the school throughout the whole day rather than just, you know, coming and going. 
absolutely. I try my best to get out there so that I am waving and saying hello or goodbye to kids and parents because I want them to see me as part of their school culture. If I'm building that bond and that connection with kiddos on campus, they also are going to be a little bit more familiar with being able to come and talk with me and seeing me as somebody supportive in their corner who happens to be at school. So I am all for it. That's definitely important. And we, we want children to be comfortable in talking about their feelings and not bottle it up and, um, you know, have it result in something negative. What yeah, about, absolutely. what about uh, mental health rituals? Um, do you feel like there are times or, or ways that discussing feelings and concerns can carry on into adolescence or even adulthood? Well, as far as mental health rituals go, and specifically more towards like this beginning of the school year, I do think it can be helpful if parents start to review, whether it's the night before or the morning of with their child about their day. Like, I heard you have art for specials this week. I hope you have a great time with your new paintbrushes. And don't don't forget, or do you remember how you're going home today? That way that child feels more empowered about their day and what's going on. And then maybe if families are able to have family dinner around the table, talking about their day, something good, something not so good, or something they would like to be better tomorrow. Those sorts of mental health rituals can really help promote communication and positivity. Nice. I know something that I've tried to do in the past is maybe a high and a low, you know, just go around the table and say what everyone's high and low was of the day. And that seems to really help to open up a little bit more about everyone's day, not just the kids. For sure, and that that's, you bring up a great point because it's, we want our kids to share so much with us, but what are we sharing with them? We also need to show them that we too are human. We feel things. Sometimes we have bad days. Sometimes we get frustrated, and it's okay to share that because we also get the opportunity to show them how we work on that, problem-solve it, and overcome it. Definitely a good reminder, and I think I will try to put some of these in place as I deal with my own kiddos going back to school and and starting new routines. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners, too, are able to gain a better understanding of, of how we can support children as they go back into a school and get back into the routine and, um, you know, maybe face those challenges. So thank you so much, Tia, for all of your advice and for your blog. Well, thank you for having me today. This has been wonderful. Well, our listeners can find some additional resources in our show notes, and hopefully they'll be able to go visit thefloridacenter.org and find your blog so they can read even more about ways to help children to be healthy and happy as they start a school year or something else new. Thank you everyone for being with us Thanks today. for listening to today's day. episode of Centering Kids. You can visit the Florida Center for Early Childhood online at www.thefloridacenter.org to learn more and subscribe to this podcast. Have comments or suggestions for a show topic? Email us at podcast at 
Thanks again for joining us for Centering Kids, where early childhood experts give you tips and tools to help center children, foster their healthy development, and build stronger families.